Welcome to The Lion, the Witch, and the Evangelicals, the fifth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. I'm Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, and I'm a writer and neighbor. And we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're tackling everybody's favorite kids series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. So join us as we return to childhood and rediscover what's special about this series as we keep our eye out for themes of dominant theology. I was like, welcome to the Lion, the Witch, and the Evangelicals. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it always seems like you've forgotten the name of our podcast. Yeah, it's true. You like, look really startled. You're always looking at me with panic in your eyes. I'm like, you're doing the intro, bud. I need popcorn. I'm going to do it with you're gusto this okay. time. Welcome to The Lion, the Witch, and the Evangelicals. I think this is episode five. We're well into this, but we are just now discussing the real first book of the series, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, setting the record straight. What? Publishing order. Oh. Not chronological order. Oh, there Because some yeah, people yeah. would say Magician's Nephew is where we should start. I mean, we started last time with Mako's interview. Right. About I was like, it. we've already talked about what lion the witch of the wardrobe but today we're getting deep into it i'm sure people are disappointed we don't have any really smart people that we're interviewing today it's just you and i jabbering on but you today, know how we jabber. today we're gonna be talking about i mean i would say over the period of one day well two days more two like, days yeah we, we i <laughs> we watched the bbc's version of the lion the witch in the wardrobe which i thought was gonna be 30 minutes it was three hours. Yeah. I thought it was 45 minutes. I was like, oh, yeah, it's 45 minutes. It's three and hours. It is three hours. With no commercials. Right. Uh, that's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. Feel free to pause this. Go spend three hours of your life watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by the BBC. It's And we'll be talking about what that's like. But after we talk about that, we're also going to talk about the version. I believe it came out in 2004. It was like the redo of Chronicles of Narnia for like bigger audiences and disney you know did it and now it's on disney plus so that's how we watch that one mm-hmm. that's that's too much narnia yeah in don't, two days don't watch them back to back i was like what three plus 2.5 that's five and a half hours right i mean what is it like to watch the movie and then tv series of a book that you know really well that you've been talking and interviewing experts on yeah but we're diving in today we're yeah, going if, deep if you want a little nostalgia if you want to Buck tooth uh, or overbite Lucy. Hey, don't say mean things about that. No, it's just like it's very distinct oh my in my mind. Okay, we'll get there. But before we jump in, we have a dear wormwood segment. Oh. So I'm gonna read you two. You gotta tell me which one is real. Okay, you gotta sum up what this this is if this is people's first time listening. Right. Okay. So uh, there are lots of fake C.S. Lewis quotes out there particularly mm-hmm. uh, lots of alleged quotes from the screw tape letters, which is a letter uh, correspondence between two demons. Uh-huh. One's called Wormwood and then the other one. Did you know there's like a restaurant chain that has like a wall of fake quotes and they have like a C.S. Lewis quote about like living your life and dreaming your dreams or something? No. It's, yeah, somebody had a picture on Twitter. It was amazing. That is really yeah. funny. I like the one where it's like, be yourself, be random, be weird. Like, <laughs> C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Doesn't yeah. quite fit with like British culture no. in that time. So, my dear Wormwood, do what you will. There is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's this is real. soul. Is it? The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors, whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not know. Your uncle screwed It's got to be real. You're correct. Okay. Second one. My dear Wormwood, one of the most important tactics to keep injustice present is convincing the humans that racism is strictly oh an individual feeling of superiority. Wait, what? This is uh, Rich Belotus. Oh, okay. Put it on Twitter. Okay. Obviously false. as a okay. false. But I like it. Don't let them focus on right. the institutional elements of it. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I was like, wait, where, what direction is this going? Because yeah. it's usually conservatives mm-hmm. twisting C.S. Lewis to convince people they should not be involved in social justice. Right. I'm not overstating that, right? That's no, truly yeah. what mm-hmm. it is. Totally. And, uh, you know, some people mentioned in our Facebook group, which we have a Facebook group for Patreon supporters, that, like, there's a lot of crossover between people who are very, very right wing who love Tolkien and Lewis. And we're not really going to delve into that cesspool, but uh, I can see why that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot, but we'll get really? into that later. Oh. Okay. Um, 30-second recap. Your job. Of what? Of the story. Of the most well-known <laughs> yes. children's story to come out of England in the 1950s. I guess because Harry Potter maybe is well, more well-known. But it's who? It's toss-up, honestly. Yeah. Harry Potter is huge on TikTok. C.S. Lewis is huge in Christian college culture. I don't know. It's like... Anyways, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is about the four Pevensey children who are shipped off to their eccentric uncle's house because it's the World War II... Lucy, the youngest, stumbles into a wardrobe and gets transported to Narnia, a magical place, meets a fawn. Her brother Edmund goes with her and meets this white witch. And she's like, oh my gosh, these are the four kids, humans, that are going to do the prophecy. And so she tries to kill them. So she gets Edmund to like try and betray them. And then all the kids go there. And then Edmund goes to the witch. But then the other three find Aslan. And like Aslan's this lion. And he's like, I'm the good king and then stuff happens there's something and then the aslan has to like offer himself to the witch in place of edmund so then aslan dies at the stone table at the witch's hands but then he resurrects and then there's a little battle and then these four kids become the kings and queens of narnia and then eventually they just like stumble back into england and then they're kids again which is like horrifying yeah if you think about it. It's a pretty good summary. What if you've lived your whole life, then you have to come back and be a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, what were we talking about? It's like that that show that we started watching, The Umbrella Academy. Uh-huh. One of the characters that happened to them. And it's it really kind of mines that for like the psychological horror that would be, right? Right. To live until you're like a 60-year-old man and then come back as a 14-year-old boy. Be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, I grew up watching the BBC British edition. I don't know how. Maybe we had it on, like, VHS. I remember distinctly that we got it from our Keone library. Yeah, maybe it was, like, a library thing. I, again, I don't remember each one being that long. But what's weird is, like, the one I remember watching the most as a child was The Silver Chair. Mm. Not this one. Like, I've definitely seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but... 
if you say BBC, you know, Children in Narnia, I think the silver chair because Puddle Glum just stands out so much in my mind. He was like this fantastic actor and he was one of the Doctor Who's. Oh. And it was so good. Did you ever watch that one? I did, but like this one, like I could not like bring any images to to mind. Oh. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally remember this. But I think it's because I watched it when I was really young. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, we're not going to get a chance, sadly, to probably talk about the Silver Chair BBC edition, so I have no real reason to rewatch it, but I love that one so much. This one is, I would say, like, the first half of it, I was like, this is not bad. This holds up. Mm -hmm. There are a few moments that are jarring, and I will say they all revolve around... The beavers? Humans trying to be animals in like animal costumes. You know what I mean? So this is like before CGI was a thing. And so it's really just a bunch of like community college actors, you know, like dressed up as a beaver or like the wolf was the worst one, honestly. And Mr. Terminus was kind of horrifying too, I must say. Mm-hmm. Um, So that was kind of horrifying. But like if it had just not been in Narnia, it would have just kind of held up well. It's just British children and, you know, Britishy things, but yeah, the uh, the humans dressed up as animals is real intense, right, Crispin? <laughs> yes. Just oh. imagine like brown faces scuttling around in these like huge oversized costumes. You don't have to imagine; you can get on YouTube and watch it because yeah. that part is worth it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is an interesting story as you go into it. You are like kind of like I always thought it was boring because it's like, well, I already know the resurrection yeah. story. But actually, like, rewatching it, I was like, oh, it is interesting because they are entering into this world and they're trying to figure out who's good, who's bad, what the heck is going on here. Which I think is makes it for makes interesting. I don't I don't know how interesting it is. I will say I definitely enjoyed the lady who plays the White Witch. Both you and I and our memories thought it was Angelica Houston. Houston. But it's not. But it's a lady who kind of looks like her, and she's like very much an overactor, and I kind of love that about her. But I think both you and I were watching this sort of after your interview with Mako. You know, we're like we're really intrigued to see like how do they couch this? Like, and that's true. As a kid, I never thought about like I just thought Aslan was God and Jesus at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know, they make a few passing rem- references to the Emperor over the sea and like the deep magic and the rules the deep magic has. But I was like about a traitor and all this, but I'm just like, how can one little boy doing one stupid thing be like the traitor to upend it all? Like, you know, a lot of that just doesn't actually make sense when you think about it. Right. Uh, Well, what I was thinking about is that he, uh, he totally betrays Tumnus, but he doesn't actually, he doesn't know who the white witch is. He gives this information. He does all these things without having any idea that it's bad. Yeah, and the only thing is maybe, I mean, obviously he's supposed to be kind of greedy and selfish, mm-hmm. but when he eventually like can't get his brothers and sisters to come meet the White Witch, he just goes to her castle by himself. He's sort of like, yeah, make me king. Yeah, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't make sense that this is like, he's the utter betrayer and must die and, you know, because to fulfill the deep magic. It's just like, what? Yeah. None of that makes sense. But I think C.S. Lewis does do a lot of things that don't make sense. Obviously, the biggest one is... Santa. Santa <laughs> makes an appearance. Right, which is, is very hilarious. funny. Um, I mean, it's Father Christmas. 
which, but but we all know he's Deanna. Um, yeah. So I, I I don't know that I guess the whole thing with the stone table and Aslan, like it's really compelling. Like as a kid, it's like so sad. It's like one of the saddest things you've probably ever seen when you're a kid is to watch this lion that you were like really drawn to get their mane shaved and be like, you know, tied up and all these like scary creatures laughing and mocking. And by the way, there's like, that's when the cartoons come in is when all like they're going to the stone table and like all the hags and the vampires and the werewolves. There's like literal cartoon ghosts floating in the air, like cartoon drawn on cartoon. Like it's kind of amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was before CGI. But when you're a kid, would that be scary? Probably. I was trying to remember. It was kind of scary. But it's so hilarious now mm-hmm. to see these drawn creatures. But like Aslan dies, you know, and then the girls, the two girls, Lucy and Susan, are there and they're crying over his cold dead body. And then I know. Okay, I gotta say, I take some issue with Aslan there because they wake up and they're like, "We want to go with you." Yeah. And he's like, "Okay, but you can only come with me so far." I thought he meant like he's gonna send them back, but he's like, "No, you can hide in the bushes and watch me die." Right, because this is truly a passion play. This is like, we have to watch the lion suffer. And so that's why it's all orchestrated like that. And I just, I just don't know what I think about that. You know, like, I I don't know. It's interesting because we watched the other film, which we'll get to in a minute with our kids. And and so it was kind of interesting to watch it with them and kind of perceive it through a kid's eyes. I mean, obviously all that suffering, that's what makes the resurrection so powerful. You know, and like, what's interesting is that it happens almost immediately, though, right? In mm-hmm. these, in these things, and then what's also interesting is that nobody else really knows that Aslan died. Mm-hmm. Only so, only the girls and the evil beings of Narnia know. Right. Um, so that was just another interesting yeah. thing too. And even in the BBC version, and I didn't really check with the book in the BBC version, the girls decide never to tell Edmund because, like. That would ruin his whole life. Like, he could never live with himself after that. And I was like, well, that's fascinating because all of us are supposed to, like, believe that we are personally responsible for the death of Jesus and yet we're supposed to be normal. Right. Yeah. I love that. Lucy says, oughtn't he know? Oughtn't he know? Um, Which was, yeah, really striking. Like, it definitely was... Like Aslan doing it for the good of Edmund, not to make him feel guilty. No, but it also made me be like, what the hell is this deep magic? What is this? What's happening? What's well, going on? Here's also what's interesting is uh, the the white witch is like, you, like she's about to kill him and she's like, I'm going to kill you and I'm still going to kill him. Yeah. And she's like, basically, you've utterly failed. Yeah. You're like, love doesn't win this. Right, yeah. yeah. And it really struck me differently this time because watching that as a kid, it's like, oh, well, like, uh, God used this. God wanted to kill Jesus, and so he wanted to use this so that his wrath could be appeased. And this time I was like, no, actually, like, through sacrifice, like, we expect it to be death, but we know that that's actually the way to life. It's just like Harry Potter, man. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's a lot like Harry Potter and his mom um, sacrificing herself and, and love being really powerful and love beating back evil and darkness and all that. So, Which is just really different, you know, like the just from what we grew up with. Like I, we did talk about like love, 
you know, overcoming and being powerful. But I just, it just like landed with me really differently this time. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing I kind of came away with that was probably new was like learning a lot about C.S. Lewis. I just saw a lot more about his, his love of like medieval stuff, you know, like <laughs> that was obviously in there a lot. And so instead of being annoyed by it, I was like, this is just what C.S. Lewis nerded out about. And that's what he put in here. And that's fine. You know, it's fine that I don't understand it, nor is it for me, but that was funny. And then, so after Aslan comes back to life, they go back and there's like a little battle between, you know, Aslan's people and Peter and Edmund and then the witch and blah, blah, blah. But the cool part, what, you know, the cool part is like Aslan breathing on the stone creatures that the white witch had turned to stone and bringing them back to life and all that. And then that's kind of it. I guess the only other thing I would say is at the very end of both the BBC thing and the, uh, you know, Disney Plus version, there's that really famous line of, well, first of all, Aslan, like, just disappears. And so Lucy's like, where's he going? You know, where's Aslan? And they're like, oh, he has, like, a lot of worlds to attend to, you know, and he just comes and goes as he pleases. He's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because you and I are going to come back and revisit like what that phrase ends up meaning in the last battle. And it's probably different from what most people um, think. And so anyways, that just yeah. got stuck out to me too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why is Aslan leave? What other world is he attending to? It doesn't make sense if Aslan, like if Aslan's the king of Narnia, why does he need these four white British kids to come and rule? Like a lot of it doesn't make sense. I think in a lot of ways it does. Like, I think that is a very, like that I think probably was C.S. Lewis's view of like, God chose humankind to rule over the earth in his like stead. Um, so I think that kind of like comes through, but it is weird. Cause yeah, he comes in and out. Um, and as long as we're on the topic of Aslan, one of my favorite things is that they had this really great puppet yeah. for him. It was way better than the other right. stuff. And at the same time, they did not know how to move the mouth. So it just opened and then he would talk and then it would close. Yeah, it was kind of like he was just breathing out a lot of sentences right, at one yeah. time. But it's definitely the best puppet. How did you feel watching Aslan? Aslan is obviously supposed to be like the, you know, have a really emotionally uh-huh. of Evocative presence. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about Aslan. Why do you not care about Aslan? Let's dig into this. I think it's because of just like the baggage of mm-hmm. growing up in here. I'm supposed to love Aslan, and it's just like mm-hmm. he's just a lion that's not around for much. Yeah, and I'm supposed to feel really sad when he dies, which I do. And you know, it's just I just feel a lot of like. I'm being manipulated to feel things about Aslan, but it's not actually the most interesting part of the story to me. You know, mm-hmm. like the white witch is a much more interesting character to watch on screen. Cause you're just like, wow, what's she going to do? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like, how do you feel? Cause like our kids love Aslan uh-huh. and loved Aslan in the Disney plus movie. Well, here's what's weird is that I, and I have this association of, uh, Aslan and Mr. Whitaker from Adventures in Odyssey are sort of like the same person in oh, my mind, no. which I think okay. is basically like because they were so it was so young when I watched those things, like four and five years yeah. old, right? But they were this like spiritual wise other, you know, that was yeah. always there to help and always there, you know. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, it was just weird to be like, oh my gosh, like I remember the 
place that Aslan held in my psyche. Also, Aslan's too serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Aslan is nothing like Jesus in the Gospels. Let's just say that right there. Nothing uh like the Jesus in the Gospels. Yeah. Who's a scrappy sage teacher. This Aslan is always chiding people, always telling them what they've done wrong. Always. You you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, no. I'm sorry. I'm actually getting kind of heated. Uh-huh. That's why I, th- I always thought of Asimov as God, a God who then died like Jesus. So, you know, who knows? But uh, yeah, BBC version is not that great because the last half is just a lot of cartoon evil creatures. That was my favorite part. When you were a kid or just now? Just now. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just so hilarious. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that came out when I was four and you were two. Yes. And then they revamped the Chronicles of Narnia for a wider audience and a bigger distribution company. By the way, I should say the BBC, it was like painfully obvious that they were like, I mean, they just really faithfully recreated the book, right? Mm-hmm. Like word for word, blah, 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 almost, you know. I can't even imagine the immense pressure they were under, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To do C.S. Lewis's beloved thing. Um Hey, we're going to just take a quick break before we dig into the Disney version. We wanted to give you a little clip of the Patreon-only episode that's going to go up next week. We are talking about Focus on the Family, which is a nonprofit religious organization that produced the Adventures in Odyssey series um, and also had a huge impact on the politics of evangelicals. This month, we're going to talk through some of the strategies that they've used to get people to vote Republican, particularly a letter that Dr. James Dobson wrote in 2008, pretending he was writing from 2012. But we will also be discussing most recently what he said his last thoughts are on the 2020 election. Should I try to explain what you're going to read? Yes. Okay. And then I'll read a little bit. So, uh, this letter that Dr. Dobson wrote in 2008, so before Obama's first win, so it was like during Obama's first presidential campaign. Right, yeah. So, it was like like October. Yeah, so it was like like a month before the election that would determine if it was Obama versus, who was even running against Obama? Mitney? Rob Nittney? What is his name? (laughs) Mitt Romney? Oh my gosh. As soon as you said that, I was like, Mitney. It's Mitney. Or was it McCain? John McCain. Oh, maybe it was McCain. Okay, we're so terrible. See, we didn't. I voted Jesus for president back in 2008. That's why I, I'm not doing that this year, anyways. Um, so Dr. Dobson wrote a letter from the future. Right? What was it? Yes. 2012? 2012, right. Yeah, he wrote it from four years in the future of like what happened during Obama's presidency. So like as a warning. So it's like speculative fiction, which kind of, you know, goes in with our C.S. Lewis themes, I guess. Um, anyways, so we were inspired and Chrisman is going to read out some choice parts of this letter. Again, this was written in 2008. But Dr. Dobson's pretending like it's in 2012, mm-hmm. and they are trying to sway voters to not vote for Obama. So I haven't really looked at the letter, so Crispin is going to read it, and I'm going to... I guess we'll both react to right. it. Yeah. So. Okay. Dear friends, I can hardly sing the Star Spangled Banner anymore. When I hear the words, oh, say, does that Star Spangled Banner yet wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave... 
I get tears in my eyes and a lump in my throat. Now, in October of 2012, after seeing what has happened in the last four years, I don't think I can still answer yes to that question. We are not the land of the free and the home of the brave. Many of our freedoms have been taken away by a liberal Supreme Court and a Democratic majority in both the House and Senate, and hardly any brave citizen dares to resist the new government policies anymore. This Patreon-only episode is going to be going up on October 26th. If you want to hear the rest of it, you can sign up at patreon.com slash dlmayfield. We have three different tiers, $1.50, $4, or $8 a month. And for any of those, you, as always, get all the same content. You also get access to our Facebook group, where we discuss our episodes and also broader evangelical culture. All right, back to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, the Disney Plus version, it wasn't that bad, was it? No, I was like going into it being like, ooh. Yeah. And yeah. Because I don't remember like loving it, but I'm like, this is a well-made movie. Mm -hmm. Child actors are good. It's visually very pleasing. Um, And it also, after watching some of the BBC, it's like, this actually moves a lot quicker. Yes, Until you get does. to the battle scenes. It does. But there are there are a few things that are markedly different about this 2004 version. Uh James McAvoy. Okay, yeah. I'm just I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you, Christopher. You Sorry. you say the things that are markedly different and then I'll I'll fill in the No, that was gaps. the one thing that That's I it? noticed. Yes, oh, James McAvoy. You I like would. him a lot. I told Chris when one time he could be a fawn, and now he's let it get to his head, you guys. James McAvoy is great. He's a great tumnus. Mm-hmm. Like a great tumnus. Um, what, what else, though? Did you, what else do you think is, like, super different? Um, I think the, you know, everything feels bigger. Um, but I would say the other big thing that's different was they were totally trying to come on the heels of Lord of the Rings and had these long, much longer battle scenes. Uh, but they were like PG battle scenes, but, you know, pretty boring. But they're so scary. Yeah. I would say it was like five to eight times longer, the battle, the end battle mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, totally. Woof. Um, yeah, I think the biggest difference is is 100% the battle scenes, which don't even match up to the book. I, and then, actually, I noticed the very beginning of the 2004 film it doesn't start with the kids on the platform getting on the train it actually does this whole thing of like london's being bombed and the kids are there and like all you know just sort of setting it there's like bomber plane like the first scene is like bomber planes like nazi mm-hmm. planes with the nazi symbol like dropping bombs on london and and i was like why is that kind of weird why is that like weirding me out that this is how the movie starts and i think it's because that's more leading into that theme of like there's absolute good and absolute evil in the world, right? There's a white witch and there's Aslan. There's Nazis and there's, you know. The allies. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's setting that up in our world to be that cut and dried. And so that kind of bothered me. And maybe I'm nitpicking here, but I'm like, that isn't in the book that was in the BBC. There's a reason why they put that. Yeah. You know? No, I actually have that in my notes. I was like, we got to talk about that good versus evil theme. Mm-hmm. Partially because our daughter was like, 
she's trying to figure out the allegory of it, right? So she's like, Aslan died just like Jesus. And then in the battle scene, she said, so like all the good people with Aslan are like the believers and the poor people, right? (laughs) She was like trying to figure out, which I think is like a good question. Like who is supposed to be on each side in this battle? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think, I think that's basically mostly what I want to talk about with this 2004 version is the battle stuff because that's the most different. And so we're watching it with our daughter who's 10 and our son who's five and I actually kind of got panicky because this is like the first battle scene our son has ever seen. I don't think Ramona's seen that much either, but definitely not our son. And so, like, one of the first things that happens is Peter ends up killing this wolf um, that was, like, attacking him. And, like, Aslan's like, no, this is Peter's battle. So, like, Aslan made nobody help him so that Peter has to kill this wolf. I'm like, this is like a 13-year-old boy who has to, like, stab this wolf in the heart talking in front of everybody. Wolf. A talking wolf. And my son was just like, what happened is, what ha-? you know, I just like couldn't figure it out and was really sad. And then the battle scenes are really almost, it reminded me of Braveheart, right? There's like these two huge factions and then they just start running at each other and like yelling and roaring. And, and here's what's really weird is that like all of Aslan's people, you know, they have a lot of like flying birds and stuff and the birds are all like, yeah, the White Witch has way more people on her, her side. And I was like. Where are all these like evil Narnians coming from? Like, wh- why does the White Witch have so many more followers than Aslan, who's supposed to be like the bee's knees? And like, all the White Witch's followers are like weird yaks and like, or you know, orgs. Orcs. I remember you're like, how many yaks are how there many in Narnia? Yaks are there in Narnia? Because the yaks are like mean, mm-hmm. like really mean. And yeah, so I mean, I just had all these questions, but then like, yeah, this whole Braveheart, like these two huge camps just like running towards each other and then they all collide and they're all killing each other. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm letting my son watch this, but I had kind of forgotten because that's not in the books. Like that's not a part of the story, this huge battle that takes forever and like tons of creatures die. Like we should be horrified by that. You said it's PG, which it kind of is, but it's like anybody, you know, who's trying to pay attention is like, Oh my gosh, all those people are dying. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it it actually is different than the BBC version because in the BBC version, it's mostly like spirits that are attacking, which I think is just sort of different. And And the White Witch turns people to stone, but doesn't kill them. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I feel like it's like, it makes more sense. Like in the the Disney Plus version, uh, it's like Narnia is divided against itself, which really pulls away from this idea that the White Witch is like this oppressive force right. that that Aslan is coming to overthrow. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, we're like teaching our kids about like militarism and the need to like literally kill and fight your enemies and just, uh, you know, I was not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah, like- right. Especially our daughter trying to figure out like, Who's on which side, right? Is it like, that's kind of terrifying to think yeah. like, so the believers, the people that believe in God are on this side of the arm are yeah. in this army. And-, and I think that the movie really took a lot of liberties with what C.S. Lewis was doing because they knew like it's cinematic and that's what people like to watch in movies. So I don't think Lewis would have drawn out that huge of a battle story and done all of that. But I mean, Tolkien certainly did like these men both fought in wars and, you know, had to believe in us to a certain extent, like sometimes you just have to kill your enemy, which 
is so weird because that's that's absolutely odds with what Aslan just did. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Which is like willingly laid down his life. And then the first thing he does when he gets resurrected in the Disney Plus movie is basically be like, yes, please go kill like the larger percentage of Narnians. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make any sense. Does it? Unless they're all under the spell of the witch. You know? Yeah. None of that's made clear. No. Right. And then one thing that you told me you loved was, was Lucy and what she did. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that as a kid, like loving when like. So she goes around and heals everybody with her um, little uh, fire flower or whatever. I was going to say cordial. Co- yeah, yeah, cordial. cordial? Right, yeah, okay. uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I just remember as a kid, like, I don't know why, but I just loved that part. I think because she was the littlest, you know, the youngest, but she could, like, really do something significant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the book, Lewis was like, war is not for women, you know. But they kind of gloss over that in the movie and... Yeah, her job is to kind of, like, go tend all the wounded after battle. And I was like, did she only go to, like, the Aslan side? You know, she did she not go help the other people? And Yeah, it just raises so many sticky questions. And I was like, I don't want my I don't want my son watching this. Like, and thinking this is what makes you a good person. She's so much more complicated than that. It doesn't work, again, when we look at the Gospels. Mm-hmm. It works as a good story. And that's probably why people love it so much. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's fine to love it for that. I don't think it's fine to impart all this spiritual importance to it that we have. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how I'm feeling tonight. Yeah. I think that, like, depending on how you look at it, but it just so easily, it's not, it's not subversive at all, is what I no. would say. I mean, I'd rather watch this than, like, rewatch The Passion of the Christ. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about... But we about, can't, we probably can't equate the two. Right, yeah. I mean, I do like that, right, the White Witch is this oppressive force. Um, <gasps> By the way, can I interrupt and say we haven't even mentioned that Tilda Swinton is the White Witch in the 2004 version, and she basically has blonde dreadlocks the whole movie. I think she's a terrific actress. I mean, she's terrifying. Uh-huh. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, I know, the blonde... Dreadlocks thing it doesn't is. make any sense like, unless she's like you know colonizer. I I don't know. I mean that's not <laughs> right. not to colonizers. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I know. Cultural appropriators. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, I was thinking about you know then Edmund gets caught up in like trying to hold power in this oppressive system mm-hmm. that the White Witch is, and then um then. The Aslan comes and and sets them free. I like that in a spiritual sense, but this is where we always run into things is that whenever, not whenever, but often, even like the Bible has these military metaphors and then we're like, oh, they're actually military. Like, you know, like we then equate it to like Christian nationalism. Um, It's just too dangerous to to talk in these terms. And like I said, it's not subversive at Uh all. It's not, it's not going to... It's too easily used for those who want to militarize Christianity and doesn't upend it in any way. Yeah, I think that that's probably also why I'm just a little not feeling great about all the battle scenes is because we're in the midst of like a current crisis of Christian nationalism in the United States where Christians are singing songs with literal war metaphors in them, you know, conservative versus liberal. Like, yeah. So that's probably why it's not sitting well with me. 
Yeah, totally. But I think it's I think it's interesting to think that the the Americanized more recent version is so much more obsessed with the war mm-hmm. elements. And right. yeah, it's worth paying attention to. Yeah. The poor BBC. I don't think it's just because they didn't have the budget for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the, a part of their framework. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah, they were trying to sell a movie, right? They were trying to... The recent one. Yeah, the recent one. They were trying to get people in seats. And, uh, you know, BBC in 1988 is just like, we're going to tell the story. We have a listener question. Oh. Um. So someone in our... Uh, Patreon Facebook group um, said, I was always struck by the way the other Narnians viewed Edmund, the bitter way the beaver spoke of him as a traitor, not compassionately as if he was in need of healing um, as Aslan saw him Uh, thoughts on what Lewis might've been speaking to there, which you kind of hit on earlier, but I did notice that like he definitely, you know, Edmund is like the bad kid throughout yeah, and it's it's like really weird when you're a kid. You're like, yeah, this totally makes sense because like everything when you're a kid is like huge size, but when you're an adult, you're like, he's freaking eleven years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's eleven years old. And actually, Mako said something really interesting in our last episode about like Edmund eating the Turkish desires, like the desires of the White Witch actually like entered him sort of in that way, you know, almost like being possessed. And I was like, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense to me. But I think this theme of like the Narnians, the good Narnian animals or whatever, their blind trust in Aslan and their like hatred for anybody outside of that, it actually ends up biting them in the butt when we get to the last battle. And I think that's where a lot of complexities are going to come into play. And we're going to talk about this like blind allegiance to something you don't actually know or see. Um yeah, I was thinking the role that that Edmund plays. I don't think I don't know. I don't know if C.S. Lewis was doing this, but Edmund obviously is the scapegoat. He's the outsider. He's the bad one, and Aslan dies for him, which I think is like does point to like Jesus's like inclusivity in terms of like tax collectors and prostitutes. And I mean, he's like the kid version of that when you're a kid, right? Like he's the bad kid, mm-hmm. and yet he's still welcomed in, even though he's betrayed. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, none of it really does match up with the gospel's narrative. So, yeah, it's just interesting when you really think about it. Heretical things, D.L. Mayfield says. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Lewis would probably agree with me, right? Yeah. I was trying to explain. We'll to chat our- about him in purgatory. I already made that joke. I'm making it again. Yeah. I was trying to explain to our kids. I was like, well, I was like, you know, I was like, it's not really about, cause this is what Lewis said, right? It's not really like a direct correlation. I was like, it's kind of imagining like, what if Jesus existed, God existed in a different universe? And they're like, what do you mean? And I like tried to explain it and I just couldn't get just it. like, oh, well, who cares? Right. But yeah, I, I like that idea of like, what would... God be like in a different universe. So it's not a one-to-one correlation. And I think there's a lot that Lewis uh, doesn't really get right. Yeah. I mean, it just really, you just feel like he's such a product of his time. And I think that's okay. Yeah. But it helps to understand his time and it helps to say like, he was interested in writing a good story. I think all those things are true. 
Right. But uh, yeah, our daughter loved Aslan, loved, I mean, she loves a good black, white binary, so she loved the movie. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) our son, it was kind of like the scariest movie he's ever seen because of the battle scene. So I think he, I mean, he liked it, but I felt, I felt kind of guilty showing it to him. So yeah, they closed their eyes during the part where Aslan was killed. And not just because that's sad, but just because like, it's really scary creatures everywhere too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are kind of scary. My gosh. We decided that they just bought out Carmen's old... (laughs) Carmen's old, uh, you know, all the things that he did his concert Carmen with. wishes right? he had the special effects at this movie. Right. I do think Carmen was probably really influenced by the BBC version. I mean, he's yeah. gotta be. That's a the good witch's point. invitation. Yeah. Right. Well, okay, Christian, I think we've kind of covered it. Yeah. You all should go watch it and tell us what you think and just overthink it to death. Let us know. Your thoughts, and uh, we'll probably do a Q&A episode at some point. Uh, so send us those questions. We hope you're enjoying this series. Um, we have some very exciting interviews coming up that correspond to the books. We will probably be going in publishing order, like you've already mentioned, um, not chronologically. So yeah, be on the lookout for some really exciting interviews coming up. And uh, is it next week? We'll be doing our patron-only episode. Y'all, this one's going to be special, so if you're signed up, be excited. If not, you know, you you might want to consider it. We're kind of going back to our roots in a a way. Yeah. With Focus on the Family Adventures and Odyssey. It has to do with that and, uh, yeah, the upcoming election, so. Mm -hmm. Right, it'll release a week before the election. Oh, my gosh. figured it was, you know, good timing. Perfect timing to to do this special, special episode. Thanks again for listening, everyone. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Find out more at propheticimaginationstation.com. Also, you can follow Danielle and Crispin on Twitter and Instagram, as well as following the Prophetic Imagination Station on Twitter at PIS underscore imagine, and on Instagram at Prophetic Imagination Station. Thanks for listening.